the world is a really hard place to live in right now. And our students, I think, need to be aware of that and how they're going to function as a part of society when they leave our, you know, classroom walls. And this has really shown me that, that, you know, we are doing the right thing or I am doing the right thing. Welcome back to Paths to Purpose. Thanks for joining us again this week. Last week, we talked with Abby Fallick, who talked a little bit about finding your own internal compass and using that to guide your path and not following other people's paths as your own. This week, we're talking more about how to build resilience in the face of backlash or in the face of resistance. And we're talking with someone who literally had her job on the line for the things that she believed were right and how you can build that muscle and standing up for what you believe in and building your own path in that way. So without further ado, let's get into our interview with Taylor. This week, we are joined by Taylor Lifka. Taylor is an alumni of Teach for America, and she is currently an English teacher at Roma High School in Roma, Texas, which is a border town in the United States, which has about 10,000 people. Taylor graduated from Denison University with a major in psychology and a Spanish minor. Taylor, thank you so much for joining us this week and welcome to Paths to Purpose. Thank you so much for having me. I feel honored to be here. We're so excited to hear your story today. Could we start by just talking about what you do currently and your path to getting there? Mm -hmm. So I'm currently just wrapping up my fourth year as a high school English teacher. I teach freshmen, uh, such a good age. At Roma High School, I was placed in Roma back in 2017 when I started my experience as a core member of Teach for America. It's a two-year placement, um, but like I said, I'm just finishing my fourth year here uh, on the border because I decided to stay longer because I absolutely love this town and this community. Living on the border has been a whole new experience for me, and I think I credit always go back to the kids. The kids have, you know made me want to stay um, forever and ever and ever if I could. They are uh, everything to me and more. So that's how I got here with TFA. And it's really been a great experience. I love that. Could you talk about how you decided to get into Teach for America? What was your motivation for applying? Did you do it right out of college? Um, What was your process in getting there? Yeah, right after college. Well, I guess my senior year, I had a lot of questions about, you know, where would I find myself in the coming months? My life dream, I think, since as long as I could remember, was always to join the Peace Corps. And I didn't make it to the final round when I was applying to the Peace Corps and was like absolutely devastated, thought that was, you know, the end of the world at the time. And my sister had done Teach for America, and, and she was very much encouraging me from the very beginning, actually, even when I was so in insistent upon doing the Peace Corps. She said, you know, like, I really think you should look at Teach for America. You don't need to, you know, cross borders um, to understand a different perspective in our own country, right? Like the life that you grew up having in a small town outside of Chicago um, is not the same perspective that someone might've been having, you know, right in the city, uh, 20, 30 minutes down the road. And I think that conversation, my sister really sparked an interest in me to apply for TFA and truly was, you know, one of the best decisions I ever could have made. I think in 2017 as a college student, um, that's when I really started to think 
more about my identity and how that played into um, the life that I was privileged enough to live as a white woman. And that's really when I started to listen and want to understand more about, you know, the perspectives of individuals who had grown up different than I had after the election. It was just like, I can't keep living like this. And I need to put myself in spaces that are going to make me grow and make me question and make me think. So Taylor, thanks for joining us and for sharing this journey you've been on. So I have a question. You, you mentioned that you, you come from a Midwest background and then you integrated mm-hmm. into a student community on the border. How did you earn trust in doing mm-hmm. so? What yeah. was that experience like in trying to integrate? That's a great question. So, um, so important, I think. And it's been a journey. I would say, you know, as we all know in this space, you know, trust is not going to happen overnight, but I really believe it starts from a place of authenticity. You know, I talked to a lot of first year educators and I'm super honest and open with them telling them, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes, I think in my teaching career coming out of college and starting as a 21 year old teacher in a classroom of 15 year olds, it can be intimidating, right? You know, I'm older than them, but not by a landslide. Um, but if there was anything I would do, it would be to go back, I think, and redo my first year. I mean, holy cow, I think I would smile more. I would laugh more with my students. I would lower the tone of my voice. You know, I used to hear a lot as a first year educator, like, don't smile until after Christmas break. And I really, that bothers me looking back on that. You know, I tried to enter that space as this really like tough and in charge individual. And from what I've learned is youth just do not respond to that. So, you know, back to your question of how do we build trust? It's definitely not like that. Um, Instead, I think what youth and my students respond to most is authenticity, agency, choice, and a classroom based on mutual respect and understanding. And in my room, you know, especially this year, we've been 100% virtual and it is, it's hard um, to create that trust and build that uh, relationship across a screen. I have still to this day on May 20th, never met my students in person, but we make decisions together. We learn together and there's always an opportunity for open and honest dialogue. We have really hard conversations in my classroom and my students know they're always welcome to email me and let me know like, hey, this didn't set well with me or can you explain more about this? And my students do that Um, and they are 14 and 15 years old. And so I think that is what's, you know, helped me build trust is letting my students know, like, I don't demand respect from you. This classroom is built on mutual respect and understanding, right? Like this is a two-way street. I'm not here as this, you know, large, scary figure. It's more of this, I think just, you know, I think of it like a circle, you know, we're all in this together kind of thing. I give my students so much agency and choice. um, So they feel like they're invested in their education and they're invested in the experience that they're having in my classroom. And that really has helped me. Uh, And then the last thing I'll add to that is I apologize. I think that's really huge. My old roommate, fellow teacher, and now best friend Alejandro Contreras taught me that. I think it's okay to make mistakes. And we tell our kids that all the time, but just as we ask our kids to own up to, to, you know, their own mistakes, a good teacher leader should be doing the same. Those are all great tidbits. You had quite a last year experience in your classroom. So you received some pretty intense backlash after you created your online classroom for the year. And I'll kind of let you describe what was in that classroom, but you received some pretty intense 
response from parents. And I would just love to hear from your perspective, kind of what that experience was like for you and kind of why it was important for you to include what you included in your online classroom for your students. Yeah. Big questions, Danielle. Well, lots to unpack there, but I think I could start kind of at the beginning. I had created this virtual Bitmoji classroom space. You know, we're hundred percent virtual. We started being virtual learners right when the pandemic hit. I guess that would have been what, March of 2020. And it's now May of 2021. And I'm still sitting at this very sad desk. And so in the summer, I decided I'm going to make this virtual classroom space so students can know like, hey, if I were to be entering Miss Lifka's classroom in room 20 at Roma High School, this is what it would look like. And so, you know, I'm not very tech savvy, but I sat down to do the Bitmoji classroom. I'm not going to tell you how long it took me to make. And I was so proud of this thing, like sending it to all my friends, like, look at how great this is. Apparently, um, other people did not feel the same way, but the classroom included posters on the wall. Um, and I think it's important to note posters that I have had in my actual classroom um, for the past three years. Uh, includes a Black Lives Matter poster, uh, another poster that says, Amiga, tu lucha es mi lucha, right? Like your fight is my fight. There was a safe space poster for uh, my students who identify as LGBTQ+. Um, there was a feminist poster. There was a poster of one of my favorite poets, etc. And yeah, I was originally asked to take that down before I had even posted it on my Google Classroom. It had been posted on my personal Instagram account and someone caught wind of that and sent it to admin. And I got a text out of the blue right before school started. I think we started on a Monday and this was on a Saturday. And she said, I need you to take this down. And I asked to speak to her and said that I wouldn't do so. And then it sort of all unfolded from there. But I know you had asked some specific questions, Danielle. It's kind of the backstory, but curious where you'd like me to take the conversation. Yeah. Well, I think what you originally did came from a place, at least from my, I I looked at your Instagram. I saw the, the classroom. I loved it. I thought it was really inclusive and created this virtual safe space that you had described. And then you face this resistance from your employer ultimately, who's, you know, responsible for giving you a paycheck every month. So my question, I guess, to go off of that is why, why did you think it was important to not take that down? What was the the thought process behind standing your ground and saying, this is important for me and my students, and I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try not to get emotional. It's been a while since I talked about this, <laughs> and, but tomorrow is actually the last day of school. So I have all of these sentiments right now. I think more than anything, it, it's just like a no brainer to me. Um, our students carry so many identities all of which are not, you know, visible to the naked eye. Um, And they need to know that they're entering a space where they're going to be validated and affirmed for those identities that they carry, whether those are, you know, their racial identity, their sexual identity, or otherwise. And it is just so clear to me, I think going back to Alan's question earlier about trust is like, this is how we build trust in a, in a classroom is by validating our students for who they are and letting them know like, Hey, you're safe here. Um, because that's not the case. Um, as we all know, in every space that our children enter, whether that's in high school, um, or otherwise, and, you know, our students are at such a pivotal time in their life as high schoolers, 14, 15 year olds, like 
I really, I always tell my kids like, oh my God, like, I look back on that time and I didn't realize how hard it was until, you know, you're out of it. But these kids carry a lot and it's hard enough to be a high schooler, much less a high schooler who feels like they're not welcome or they're not loved for who they are. And so, you know, people say like, your job is to teach English. Like, you know, you read these comments online, like teach to the subject or stick to the teaks. And it's like, nothing matters. That's going to come out of my mouth. If my student doesn't feel like I value them, right. If my student doesn't feel like this is a safe space. And I know that when somebody makes a comment or uses a word that's inappropriate or that um, puts me down or makes me feel like I'm not welcome there. I know Miss Lifford is going to have my back. And so I knew like, I have to do everything I can to make my students want to come to my space. And that's why at the end of the day, I'm like, this isn't, this is a no brainer. I have to keep these posters up to keep my students from coming here as educators. We, you know, this shouldn't be taboo. This shouldn't be controversial. If you're an educator, you should be creating an anti-racist space for your kids. And that's, you know, I don't know, period. I can't emphasize that enough. Like at the beginning of the year, we do this experience um, with my kids where we do this identity iceberg. And so we use an iceberg as a metaphor and there's all these little blanks on the iceberg and they fill in their different identity markers, whether again, that's their racial identity, their sexual identity, you know, how they identify as a daughter, as, you know, a friend, you know, we start small. I tell my students, I'm a dog mom, right. But I'm also a woman and I'm white and I come from um, a middle-class background. And so we fill all of these things in at the very beginning of the year. And it's an exercise for my students to understand empathy. Um, you know, we go over this idea that only 13% of the iceberg is visible above the waterline, right? Only 13% of who you are and how you identify is visible to your friends as you walk into this space, is visible to the custodians as you're walking through the hall, is visible to your teachers. And so, it's just so important for us to realize, like, we don't know what other people are carrying and we don't know um, the identities that our peers hold close to their heart. But in this space, like, we will value them. Um, and it's, those are big conversations to have a 14 and 15 year olds, but they're not only necessary. I think they need to be required. So thanks for sharing that. It actually reminds me of a lot of the discussion we had with Lauren Kozowski, who we interviewed, I don't know, months ago now, probably, Danielle. And, and this notion that it's, I, I think of it in terms of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's, it's virtually impossible to do any kind of learning without base needs met. And so that's sort of what I think I took away from what you just communicated. My question is, how, how are the students responding in general to your input in this kind of learning? Do you sense that there's impact? And if so, in what way? Yeah. Okay. If I wasn't going to get emotional on the last question, it might be now. Uh, when this all happened with the district, this exact experience, I was put on administrative leave. So I didn't start the school year with my students and there was a sub in my class for the first two and a half weeks. And I went to bed one day and saw that this one of someone in the community had a former student had started a change.org petition, which has now gathered over 44,000 signatures and, you know, I have a teacher Instagram account with my roommate, who is my partner in crime, Mary Moore, and we do everything together. And I was also on that account and I'm seeing just like every student that we follow on this account is posting, you know, like the petition, right? Like sign the petition for Miss Lifko, like 
you know, they're 14. So very dramatic. Get justice where justice is due. Um, <laughs> let's bring this educator back into the classroom. And, you know, it's just this like wildly emotional experience because that is a moment where, you know, back to your question, Alan, where you're like, okay, this matters. I had an email in my inbox uh, throughout all of this kind of at the beginning, it was from a student and he was saying, you know, like you have asked us to do what's right. And you've asked us to use our voice and you've asked us to, um, you know, leave your classroom and, you know, be a good person. I always tell my kids, it's, I want you to pass the star test as an English teacher, right? That's my job. Um, but if we don't pass the star test, we can work toward that. But if you leave my classroom and, you know, you're not a good person and you're putting down your peers and you're putting down, you know, other members of staff, if you're being disrespectful to your family, if you're using words that, you know, we've taught and gone over why, like, this is hurtful, I failed at my job, right? Like, that's really my job. And so this message from the students, like, you tell us this all the time, and now it's your time to speak up for us. You know, I'm such a big believer in experiential learning. Like this, that's the learning that's happening here. Um, we can't teach this to our kids in textbooks, but, you know, when this all came to light and my students are out there saying like, this isn't okay. You know, this teacher cares about us and cares about her students and wants to make sure that they're receiving the best education that they can. Uh, that was so affirmative to me, like this this is the right thing. You know, I was talking to my mom throughout all of this so much. And I'm like, as long as I can go to bed and feel like I'm doing the right thing, then, you know, I'm not going to have regrets. And that's how I always felt. And then one really strong example that I would be remiss not to include is from my student council kids. I'm the sponsor of the Roma High School Student Council and have been for the last two years. And on August 25th, they put out a statement, which I learned in retrospect, I'm like, oh my God, like, how did these kids get together to make this? And, you know, as this, the teacher in me is just so impressed by this, I guess, you know, all 13 of the executive board members got on a Zoom call and they created this statement together and um, they voted on it. And if one person said that they weren't comfortable putting it out, then it wasn't going to be put out, but it came to, you know, a hundred percent vote. And I won't read you the whole thing, but I think what's most powerful is this middle paragraph here. And keep in mind, this is created by students, you know, from 14 to 17 years old. And it says, as a council, we, the students unanimously believe the response from Roma ISD and its administration to place Ms. Taylor Lifka on administrative leave is unjust. We agree that teachers as professionals should not teach bias. But we ask you this, what is the bias in believing that women are entitled to the same rights as men? What is the bias in believing that students deserve the same rights regardless of their gender identity and their sexual orientation? What is the bias in believing that all students deserve the same rights regardless of the color of their skin? This is not bias, it's equity. Ooh, I'm getting emotional because, <laughs> um, ooh. You know, you read these comments online and, you know, I'm losing, was going to maybe lose my job over this. And then to have these students I'm looking at this picture of them right now on my wall, come out with a statement like this is just like, this is the work, right? Like, I don't care if, you know, I just tell my kids, like, you know, they email me like, oh my God, like I missed this question on the Romeo and Juliet quiz. Like, it's not that deep. Like it's going to be okay. You know, if you got a 70, you've got kids coming crying. Like I've never gotten a 70. Like, let me redo the quote identification. I'm like, it's all right. You know, that stuff. I think we shove that down our kid's throat and 
this is really what matters, you know, like for my kids to be able to be critically thinking about the world around them and how, you know, we are all adding to what's happening in the world. And the world is a really hard place to live in right now. And our students, I think, need to be aware of that and how they're going to function as a part of society when they leave our, you know, classroom walls. And this has really shown me that, that, you know, we are doing the right thing or I am doing the right thing, no matter how many death threats I received to my email, no matter how many emails I have gotten from people telling me that I'm a bigot, I'm X, Y, Z, you know, I know that my kids understand why we're doing this. I was getting emotional listening to that. I just think it's so phenomenal the work that you're doing. And that just speaks volumes about not only the teacher that you are, but the kind of person that you are, that your kids would have such a powerful statement, not just for high school kids, but for human beings to come out and, and have those just beautiful words to, to support you in this really awful time that you were going through. So I think that that just speaks volumes to you as a human. And I'm just honored that you came on to share that with us. Following that, I wanted to ask, um, before we wrap up, how do you take care of yourself? Because I think educators, we talked a little bit about this when we talked with Lauren Kozowski too, are in the United States, pretty underpaid and have a lot on their plates. And you are literally trying to lift our society at the most fundamental level by doing that with, with kids. And so how do you take care of yourself physically, mentally, when you experience not only just burnout from work, but when you're going through really challenging times, like the ones that you just described? Good question. I don't think we talk about that enough in society is how we care for ourselves. It's a journey. I think, you know, I'm like number one spokesperson to my students about self-care and mental health. We have, you know, we're on a six week schedule. So I try at least every six weeks to have a mental health Friday where, you know, we're reading an article or we're talking about ways of, to practice self-care, et cetera. And it's, you know, it's a lot easier to tell your 15 year olds to do that than to actually take time and do it yourself. I will say, you know, I've been an athlete my whole life. I swam in college um, for the first two years and all before that. So moving my body and exercising is really important to me, but you know, in that same token, sometimes that can also become really consuming uh, to me. Um, I'm trying to get better at what I like to refer to as functional fitness. Like I don't need to go and do a HIIT workout and burn 500 calories, but um, if I'm taking a brisk walk or I'm going on a hike or I'm also sharing space with friends while I'm moving my body, that's important. And so trying to get better about that. I go to therapy. I cannot uh, emphasize how important that is. Uh, Danielle, if you're listening, you are the best. (laughs) You know, a friend recently told me like, we exercise for our bodies, right? But, you know, we don't talk enough about the exercise that we need to do for our minds. Going to therapy is is that. And having someone else who's a third-party listener be able to, you know, repeat back to me what I'm feeling and then, you know, give advice or really even just to listen is so validating. Um, another thing is I journal every day, every morning. at this point should be a spokesperson for this darn journal, the high performance planner. Uh, It's pretty incredible. There's a, you know, a a morning section and a night section with questions. And 
that it asks you to reflect on your day. So in the morning you're setting intentions and then in the night you're kind of reflecting on that. And then it breaks it down um, at the end of each week, which I think is incredible into these 10 different components of health, mental and emotional, partner and love, family, friends, mission, experiences, spirit, finances, and learning. So these 10 components that kind of create a whole life. And what I love the most is this makes me think about my life and these different components, not individually, but as a collective whole, or like how, you know, I, I notice trends, right? Like when I'm not caring for my, my mental or emotional health, my physical health, I'm giving myself a lower score on that, or my spirit is low, right? Like these components of our life are all tied together and need to be addressed, right? Like we cannot just be focusing on one. My mission is always a 10 FTK for the kids. Uh, that's my life's mission. You know, sometimes that can take away from these other components. And, you know, like I always say to my kids, if you're not your best self, you can't be giving your best self to others. So, you know, I have to remind myself that sometimes like it's always FTK, but if Taylor is not there hundred percent, like it does, it's, it's worthless. Right. Or like when I'm entering my classroom space and I'm not excited to be there because I've slept five hours, like, you know, something has got to give. So it's a give and take. It's a balance, uh, a balancing act. I'm always like, Oh my God, like I'm only 26 years old. Like, I don't know how people do this with kids and a family. I got to figure something out, but I am working on it. And I would also say the last thing is introspection. Just my roommate, I think I mentioned her earlier, Mary Moore. She also teaches English at the high school. She teaches English too. And I teach English one and, you know, just being intentional with our conversations I hope my dad listens to this because he's going to laugh at this. Every night we do RBT. My dad hates this activity. I'm always forcing him to do it. He's like, oh God, Taylor, not again. Um, but RBT is your rosebud thorn. And at the end of the night, right, you reflect on what was this really powerful moment of the day? Uh, that's your rose. Your thorn is a moment that you struggled. And then uh, your bud is something you're looking forward to, whether that's tomorrow or in the coming week. And it just keeps our conversations really intentional. You know, sometimes you know, we'll walk away from dinner and I'm just like, Oh my God, deep breath. You know, like we just kind of uncovered a lot there, but it's important. Um, instead of sitting there and being on your phone or, you know, just talking the biggest gossip in our big town of 10,000 people, like there's a lot of other productive conversations we could be having, um, with our time. And that all, you know, goes back to your mental health is, do you feel productive um, about who you're sharing your space with, what you're talking about? Are you reflecting on the really good moments? Like, oh my God, it might've been the worst first period ever. Nobody turned on their camera. Like no one said anything. I feel like I'm talking to this horrible void, but then, you know, I come to dinner and we reflect on fifth period, right? That was our rose where students were engaged and excited and whatever. Um, we need to do that. I think just be more intentional about our conversation and how that can help our mental health. What, what about kind of this concept resonated with you that you were willing to come talk and that you think would, you know, resonate with your students in that way? Yeah. You know, I think as Alan was mentioning at the beginning of this conversation, maybe even before we started recording, talking about the way in which we're just not having these conversations enough, right? With, with college students, even, and people are entering these paths that aren't necessarily really fulfilling to um, individuals and the work they choose, I think often can be uh, dictated by a salary, right? Instead of a mission or a purpose. Um, and so when I think about my high schoolers, you know, the sooner the better to have these conversations. I think this is a mindset. It's really 
it's hard to teach mindset, right? That's not really something that you can just wake up one day and like ask somebody to believe in. And I think it kind of connects back to what I was saying earlier too, about what I always preach to my kids. Like, I care that you pass, you know, the state mandate exam, but what I really care about is that you're a good person. Um, and I think that this, you know, podcast comes back to that and it's full circle, right? Like we should be doing work that genuinely matters. Um, we should be going to bed feeling like, Hey, something I did today might've positively affected one other individual in my community or force one individual in my community to think deeper or, um, you know, the work that, you know, and the flip side is so important too. the work that I do has me laying in bed at night because I'm thinking twice about what I said or what I didn't say, um, or what I, you know, what action I could have taken to better protect my kids or better advocate for my kids. I think it's just so important and it's hard, you know, like people don't, most people don't pick this path. Um, which is, you know, why you all have done this podcast. And, you know, as a 26 year old, I see, I had to get off social media for a while. You know, you, I see these people that I went to college with living like really different lives than I do. And that can be really um, like a, a negative rabbit hole to go down. Like, should I have lived in the city of Chicago and, you know, been able to go out with my friends after work and leave work at home, you know, leave work at work and then live my life? Like, am I missing out on something? You know, those, those thoughts can come uh, to your mind as a young adult. And I think the more that we're reminding youth, like, we have a purpose in this world and it's not just to go, you know, and I don't mean to belittle anyone else's line of work, but it's not to sit at a desk and then leave it there and then come home. There's a lot happening. And there's a lot of us that need to be invested in making sure that this world is less of a shitstorm. Um, I, I want to say just briefly, I mean, I've trained probably helped train maybe thousands of people who are professional and it's rare and refreshing to hear somebody like you who's genuinely passionate about the work they do. It's, sadly too rare from my perspective. Thanks, Alan. Yeah, it's, it's hard, but it's, like I said, it matters. We should all be doing work that matters. I think if we had more Taylor Lifkas in the world teaching our children, we would have just all the problems in the world would be solved with the amount of understanding and care that you approach your students with. So I want to just thank you for your time, for your energy, like Alan just said, and yeah, for coming on here and being authentic and vulnerable with us and with our listeners. And I can only imagine what a pleasure it is to be a student in your classroom based on how you approach your, just your life in general. So thank you so much for joining us today. Genuinely appreciate it. Before we close, I wanted to ask if there was any work or social media or anything that you wanted to share with our listeners and where they could find you you know, teachers are more than welcome or not even teachers just to follow the Instagram account. I mentioned that my roommate and I, uh, created right when we entered the pandemic in March of 2020, it's called Proyecto Estancia. I can send you that uh, handle and we share student work. We share different things that we're doing in the classroom. We share little tidbits, maybe like, um, we film part of class and we'll post it on there. Uh, but we ask our students to do a lot of work that I'd say isn't typical in an English classroom or should be, well, maybe it is in some classrooms, right? Just like a lot of less multiple choice, more our kids are making videos, our kids are creating art and connecting it back to the work that we read, et cetera. Um, So we post a lot of that on there. Welcome to follow that or my personal Instagram as well. 
Well, thank you so much again for today. Thanks everyone for listening. As per usual, if you have any thoughts or feedback or you want to find Taylor's Instagram or her classroom Instagram, you can head over to ours, which is at paths to purpose pod. Or if you have any feedback or any thoughts, you can email us at paths to purpose pod at gmail.com. Thank you so much again, Taylor, for joining us this week. And we will see everyone next week. Bye.